Welcome to Our Tribe, the podcast that sits down with Jewish professionals and entrepreneurs to hear their stories, share their advice, and bear their Jewish souls. Now here's your host, Rabbi Tuvia Kopstein. My name is Rabbi Tuvia Kopstein, and I am excited beyond belief to welcome you to the first ever episode of Our Tribe, the podcast. This episode is sponsored generously by Dr. Noah and Sherry Levy in the memory of Hannah Bas Gavriel, Mrs. Helen Hess of Blessed Memory. In this episode, we sit down with Dr. Paul Rosenstock, and you'll see that the, the conversation revolves around medical ethics and the Jewish view of medical ethics. Now, personally, this is a very meaningful conversation to me because I didn't grow up as an observant Jew, but in my first early involvement with observant Jews in a Shabbat experience I had once in the Detroit community, it was the afternoon on Shabbat, and I was invited to the house of a, a doctor, and the doctor was giving a Torah class, and the class was centered on a certain specific question in medical ethics, and I was amazed to see that a question that was very current and relevant had its source, the source to an answer and a path to understand it in the Talmud itself, which even has earlier sources, and then all of the halachic writing that stemmed from the Talmud throughout the ages, throughout the past 2,000 years till today. And it's all relevant and there's all clear guidelines of how to act as a Jew. And that really inspired me to want to learn more. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Paul Rosenstock. And thank you so much for listening. Uh, we are very excited to be here with the Our Tribe podcast with Dr. Paul Rosenstock of Brooklyn, New York. I'm Rabbi Tuvia Kapstein. Dr. Paul, thank you so much for sharing with us your time and your wisdom. And time welcome. I have. Wisdom I don't have much. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we'll see about that. And uh, Dr. Paul, you've had a long and storied career in medicine and business. And there are many students out there who are interested in pursuing a career in medicine and probably interested in the, in the business of medicine as well. And you are a, an observant Jew, and we'd love to hear your story about how, about how your Jewish self and your professional self have come together through your career and, and what you can share with us from those experiences. So please, please start, with your, uh, start with your story, and let's hear it. Well, I guess I'll start with my college days, um, where I made the decision to go into medicine. Um, at that point in time, you had to make a decision at that point because of the, the, the rigor of uh, the pre-med courses that you had to take. Uh, so, um, and I also had an interest in philosophy and in medical ethics. And these two were combined throughout my career. At least, um, as and in large part, in the beginning of my career, later on, the trials and tribulations of practicing medicine encroached upon upon that. But um, uh, in college and in high school, and, uh, and in college and later on in medical school, I um, headed various organizations that were um, that were involved in Jewish medical ethics. Uh, one of them, which is called the Rafal Society at the time, which is a branch of the Association of Orthodox Jewish Scientists, and then um, which had about 700 physicians nationwide. And then later on in medical school, there's something called the Memani Society, where in the school, 
we promoted Jewish oriented events and um, um, social events and as well as intellectual events to try and bridge the gap between uh, what was being practiced in the medical field and what the Jewish viewpoint was. Um, throughout my internship and residency, I encountered various difficult situations um, involving medical and halakhic questions. Um, and I had to turn to various authorities, uh, one of which was Rabbi David Cohen, um, who guided me in, in uh, ferreting out where we should stand on, on different issues. Um, autopsies, um, uh, withholding uh, treatment, um, selection of patients, which patient could go into an ICU, which shouldn't go into an ICU. Um, all of these issues were extant. Um, now, pretty much with the advent of, um, except for COVID-19, the adequate ICU bed, um, you didn't have the situations. But now with COVID-19, we did have that situation, whereby you had limited ICU beds and you had various patients that needed them. And how do you select which one is going to go in, which one's not going to go in? Um, in terms of my business orientation, um, medicine is a business. Don't anybody else tell you it's not. Um, and despite the idealism that one may have in going into medicine, um, one has to take into account the investment in time and money um, that's involved um, and the what, how it encroaches upon your lifestyle and, uh, and, and your family. Um, as a general internist and, and a geriatrician, which I practiced as for over 40 years, um, there are many times that I did not see my family where I came home right before the Sabbath and um, uh, had to hurriedly uh, get ready. Um, and, and there are times where I, I was called out in the middle of the night and had to go take care of patients that I knew without my care would, would succumb. So um, it's not an easy profession. Um, nowadays, it's become easier because the internship and residency requirements are much less in terms of the hours and also because of the fact that corporate medicine, medical, corporate medicine has, has come into play and now you can have a nine-to-five job, um, albeit with limited upside, but a nine-to-five job. So uh, just to sum it up, really, um, Anyone who thinks of a career in medicine at this point uh, really needs to understand the scope uh, of what medicine is like. And if you're approaching it as a Jew, which you should be in, in at least sensitive to the fact that we have a very, very well worked out um, uh, pathway in terms of how we should proceed as physicians and um, uh, both from the idealistic perspective and from the perspective of um, of how to deal with various difficult ethical situations that may arise, and that's um, that's the sum and substance of a forty year career. Okay, and now in terms of the it, 
you've definitely made it clear that the the issues of conflict in in Jewish ethics and following Jewish law and in, in, in medical ethics and the practice of the medical community, you've made it clear that that has been the main challenge in your career. Be, That's besides, one of the main challenges. Correct. Correct. Mm-hmm. It's a, one of the main challenges. I mean, let's put it this way. Um, it begins with the fact that we recognize there is a creator. That's a basic principle of, uh, of understanding the Jewish perspective. The second thing is that we recognize there is a soul. And the function of the body is a physical function, but there's also a spiritual side to it, spiritual slash emotional. And these two are joined together. And to be sent, you have to be sensitive to both aspects of the physical and the spiritual slash emotional in becoming a good physician. Uh, if you're not, then you're, then a body is just a machine. And if it has no soul, then uh, you can treat it as the Russians treat bodies. Just something to be eliminated in case they're, they're not productive. Um, and so they bomb bodies out of existence because they're an impediments to their, their grand design. So, it, 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 uh, if you come from that perspective, then everything else flows logically um, in terms of approaching a patient from the Jewish perspective. Namely, um, the body houses the soul, and um, we are sensitive to the fact that it was created for a purpose in this world, and that we have no right to destroy that body or injure that body and nor injure ourselves in that regard. So since I'm a custodian of that body, uh, whether it be someone else's body or my body, um, I have to take measures to make sure that everything I do to that person or to myself is acting in the capacity of um, doing it for the benefit, the greatest benefit of that, of that whether it's another person or so smoking and injuring yourself is something which is, is contraindicated in terms of that perspective. Um, ignoring the plea of a, of a patient or working against the interest of the patient because of other reasons be the societal or be it um, personal, is against that perspective. Um, recognizing it as a creator means that that you have a an understanding that that your purpose in this world is to fulfill um, the will of that creator in doing good and 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 carrying out his his mission. And that's what your perspective should be as a Jew. Now, thank you for that. Are hospitals or practices have a code of medical ethics that is somehow agreed upon 
by the directors or by perhaps how how do how are the medical ethics in the world at large how are they determined it's a very good question because i don't i don't believe that there is a formal code of ethics not that i've come across that's generated by any state body or um or um or hospital there are certain principles that um are out there, general principles like patient autonomy, which I've long taken issue with. Um, and uh, do no harm, etc. There are general principles out there. Um, I think four or five of them, I don't know off the top of my head. But basically, when it comes down to the specifics, um, it's very difficult to ascertain whether or not there is something out there that governs it. There -hmm. are certain issues that come up periodically, for instance, the the right to die issue, the the issue of of um of withholding medical treatment, um uh, euthanasia, abortion, these are cutting edge issues that um Judaism has a very, very clear perspective on. And um, it's based, again, upon the principle of sanctity of life, the fact that there is a creator, the fact that we are really custodians of that life, and um, and we have to act in this best manner. As, as a practicing physician, you are coming from a, a, a perspective, a Jewish perspective, where there's clear guidelines as to what is a, what is appropriate behavior in certain situations, but the the institutions that you're working for have uh, have are populated with other physicians who don't have those guidelines, and perhaps the director of those institutions don't have the same guidelines. So, do you have often uh, did it often come up that there were conflicts where I you, where you said I am a Jew and this is I, I'm allowed to do this I'm not allowed to do that, whereas the the physicians around you are are not bound by that, those, those same rules? Well, um, I, I didn't personally have such conflicts because I did an internship at that time, which was catering towards Orthodox Jews and offering them um, uh, to be off on the Sabbath. Um, so there were a lot of Orthodox Jews within my, my training um, group. Um, but I know of instances whereby um, it did come up. Um, a couple of instances in my case, whereby um, I had I had to beg off a case because I said, "Look, I, I can't act in this way, and I'm going to resign from the case. You take over." Too serious. Um, Wait, Doctor, uh, when you when yeah. you turn that in that direction, I can't. We can't hear you so clearly. Okay. Sorry. You hear me better now? Yes, much better. Okay. So uh, the option always exists to resign from a case. I mean, you say, I, I can't, and someone else can take over. Uh, and so, therefore, if you feel that it's against your ethical standard, and people have done that, and not only Jewish people, but Catholics when it came to abortion, etc., they said, look, I'm, I'm not going to be involved in this, and they beg off. Um, 
so it it rarely does a conflict arise. Um, the only time that I've had conflict is actually not with physicians, but with patients' relatives. I'll give you an instance. I had a patient um, who was um, in in almost it was in coma, and she um, had a strangulated bowel and needed emergency surgery. She was 80 years old, some 75, 80 years old, somewhere around that age group. And interestingly enough, her her uh, son and her daughter were were Jewish, but felt that the quality of life that she would have would be uh, significantly decreased if she had surgery, that she would be suffering because of surgery, and um, and that they refused to sign permission for the surgery. So I went head to head with them um, and argued vociferously um, that she should have the surgery because our duty is to try and prolong life um, even if the chances are against us. She subsequently survived the surgery and lived for 10 years and was a viable woman in a nursing home um, participating in all activities. Another case, I did a fellowship in immunology and oncology at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. I subsequently went back into internal medicine but during that period of time in Memorial, there was a patient who was also comatose. And um, I was working at that time under the aegis of Dr. Yasha Hershout, who was a very world-famous uh, oncologist, Orthodox Jew as well. And this woman was comatose. She had metastases to her intestine, brain, and... Um, and uh, her bowels stopped moving. They were feeding her through an intravenous line. And um, Dr. Hershout and I were approached by the nutrition team, called the TPN team, Total Peripheral Nutrition, that we should stop the feeding and let her go. At that time, Memorial Sloan Kettering had access to an experimental, now used, uh, well-used drug, but then it was experimental called cisplatinum. And this woman who had ovarian cancer was, Dr. Hershout said, I'm going to try everything on her, and he used cisplatinum. She subsequently woke up, the, her bowels started moving again, started eating, she learned how to play tennis, saw the birth of a grandchild, died about a year and a half later. So a year and a half worth of life was given to this woman, a viable life, where she lived and saw the birth of her first grandchild. In fact, I was there at the bris. <laughs> so we don't know, and we can't tell where things are going to go 
we have to act the way our Torah and our halacha give us the guidance to go and act in good faith in that regard. I've seen this over and over and over again. The prevailing thinking about in the medical profession is that quality of life overrules life. Quality of life doesn't overrule life. And and I've seen it throughout my career that in pushing for the patient's benefit, and yes, there is suffering. There is no question about it that that sometimes we have to undergo suffering. You know, it says in the Torah, rapo yirape. Translated means, heal ye shall heal. But it also says, when it comes to describing how HaKadosh Baruch Hu, how our Creator heals, it says, ki rofecha. It doesn't, it only says it once. I will heal you. When man heals, he has to injure first. A surgeon has to cut, cause pain, and only later on does the healing occur. So he does the pa'ula, rapo, and then yirape. Later on, the healing comes about. That's in contradistinction to the way our creator heals us. When you get a cut, it heals by itself. When things are reversed because of chemotherapy, we thought we did it. But no, the cells were susceptible because the creator created it that way. So it, 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 we have to understand our role. Our role as physicians is to do what we can do for the benefit of the patients. After that, it belongs to a higher power. Was this pervasive this pervasive attitude in the medical world that that you described of quality of life overriding life? Is that something that you you that was that was existing extant at the time that you came into medicine and has it remained constant, or is it something that is growing? That's evolved. That's evolved. Yeah. The, the 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 ethics of um, society. Is uh, is in constant flux because they don't have a north star, a standard with which to relate to. So it comes as people feel it. Abortion fifty or sixty years ago was a crime. Now it's practiced with regularity. Um, and the ethics of our society have decreased in value or in level uh, with time. Uh, Whereas murder was a shocking event, now it's treated with regularity on the news. Um, So when I started, quality of life was not as paramount as it is right now. Right now, quality of life rules virtually everything. Um, and and because we've become more materialistic, that's why 
quality has has asserted itself. The spiritual aspect of of our existence is paid little attention to at this time. Mm-hmm. What would you? What advice would you give to a Jewish young person who's interested in, in a career in medicine, who who doesn't necessarily have these convictions just because just for for lack of, of familiarity with them, and they're going into the field of medicine and they're going to confront the uh, without without strong conviction like somebody who's already observant and coming into that field has so what advice could you give to such to such a student about why these matters are important or where can i start learning about them um there's okay the first thing is that there's a huge amount of literature in english published on each of these areas uh, from a Jewish perspective. Uh, I would advocate that if someone is seriously considering medicine, they should read up on it before they go into medical school. Um, Take courses in in medical ethics beforehand, Jewish medical ethics, if you can. I'm sure they're available online. I'm sure you can tap into many resources. Familiarize yourself at least with the major topics and the major principles of Jewish, the Jewish approach towards medicine. And then once you understand that and have that inculcated within yourself, you'll be able to at least put them in the appropriate basket when you approach, when you get confronted with those situations later on. Um, life is continual learning. And as a Jew, you should explore your Judaism just like you're exploring medicine. They are intimately related. And um, educate yourself. Um, No matter what background you come from, whether you're totally unaffiliated or not, be aware that there is a very, that we've been there, been there and done that. And that all the situations that you're going to confront later on in your career from an an ethical perspective have been dealt with, at least explored. And you should do the exploration yourself. No one is telling you, follow dictates. Make your own decisions. But be aware of the choices and the consequences. That's all. Thank you. Now, doctor, is there, uh, the, in the discussion of the business of, of medicine, can you share with us what, I, I'm aware that you started an organization or you were the head of an organization called Doctors on Call. Is there, is there something you can share with us, some, some advice about how uh, a doctor who is uh, employed by a, by a hospital or a clinic, um, how can they advance what the, what should they be looking for in in order in order to make their to, to play their medicine yeah. medicine today is is far different than when I started. It's far more structured. The opportunities are far less for an individual physician than there were when I started. When I started, you could open up an office and you could be successful with an office and form a group, etc. 
now the amount of capital necessary to start something um, and remain viable, given today's low reimbursement rates, is very, very difficult. I would advise, number one, that uh, people go into specialties, not go into general medicine, because general medicine has very low reimbursement, uh, even though it can be very satisfying, but it's also very, very trying. And specialties offer higher reimbursement and a better lifestyle. Um, secondly, um, be prepared for a long career, a long training program. I mean, I've had people that have gone into business that have been very, very successful. Obviously, some have not, but, but and they started out in business or started out in a career, and they uh, did very, very well spending those years that I was in training. But it, but there are others that that didn't do well in business. You know, that have jobs, nine to five jobs. Um, it, so medicine is a very difficult, different situation now, it's, and it's more difficult because the government really controls what you can make. It's it's the most regulated industry in the world, in the United States anyway. And you you. It's it's very difficult to to be very very successful in medicine on your own um, unless you have an entrepreneurial spirit and you get together with some other people with entrepreneurial spirit and form a group and develop an expertise um, and specialty um, then there there's a chance of of doing that so um, my advice to someone going into medicine again is. Pick a good specialty, um, train yourself well in it, and um, and then uh, that, then you'll you'll do okay. You'll do okay. In interacting with your patients over the years, uh, in dealing with patients that looked up to you as an example of someone who lives a Jewish life, and not necessarily. I mean, when 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 you're dealing with a patient who is is Jewish or even not Jewish. And sees here is a, here's a doctor wearing a yarmulke and representing Judaism in the world. Have you ever been able to to uplift that we would say the word Kiddush Hashem? Have you have you do you have any stories to share with us where you where you showed the dignity and the what's the I don't I'm missing the word but you showed the dignity of a an observant Jew to to those who are around you. Um, it wasn't it's not intentional so I mean I can't tell you if someone on the other side of the desk how they looked at me Um, when you are a practicing physician I don't think they look at you they look at your religion they look at what you what you're doing for them in terms of how you're helping them. Um, what you real what really makes you different as a Jew is if you're willing to go the extra mile. Um, and that people recognize and attribute to your to your Jewish background. If you're just sitting there and practicing, I mean, just practicing, but you're practicing, 
you do an incompetent job. You, but if you're willing to go the extra mile, if you're willing to show the extra care, if you're willing to call a patient after hours and say, how are you doing? That, that bespeaks an ethical standard that is above and beyond the standard of society today. So if you are able to muster that, that perspective and that, that, that effort, you will be making what we call a Kiddush Hashem. You will having a positive aspect of your existence in this world and you will fulfill the will of, the, of your creator. So calling someone after hours and just out of the blue saying, how are you doing? I saw you in the office today or I saw you in the office yesterday. I'm following up. I want to know how you're doing. That creates a a sense of appreciation on the other end, which is attributed not only to you as an individual, but to to your background as well. So my advice to any physician, whether you are traditional or non-traditional, is go that extra mile. And if they know that you're Jewish, they will attribute it to not only you, but your 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 parents, your what you were raised, and also to to what you represent in this world as a Jew. Okay, Dr. Paul, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And is there anything that I did not ask that I should have asked? Well, one area that you that should be explored, and I'm not faulting you for not asking it, but it should be explored, is um, what did I see in my career that would have reinforced my belief? And um, actually, uh, it started in in college, but it was re- really enforced in medical school. Uh, when I began to, I took chemistry in college, organic chemistry, and, and saw the intricacies of the organic world. But when I got to medical school, I was blown away by the human cell or the cell and the myriads of biological processes that have to occur with extreme precision in order for us to even digest a simple molecule. And then when I sat in embryology and watched the formation of a human being um, day by day and how cells migrate and know where to go in the human body and um, form the organs that they do. Again, with the orchestration of a master conductor, I, I, I sat there with my mouth open um, in understanding that this could not have been any, any, there could be no possibility of this not being created by a, a supreme being, a creator. And anyone who looks at this and looks at even a simple leaf and the process of chlorophyll and, and photosynthesis and digestion and how a cell will um, incorporate and, and within them 
a world, there's a whole world in a human cell, uh, one understands that that this is not a a function of accident or evolution or billions of years of accidental interactions. Um, this had to be done with intent and with extreme precision. And the interrelationship between the different organs in the body and how they function together um, is impossible. We, we can't create a machine that does even uh, a millionth of what our human body does in terms of the myriads of processes that go on on a daily basis. We say in, in our in our prayer, that, uh, that God renews the creation every minute. If you look at what, um, how a, a simple wound would heal and how the processes that are involved in, in bringing together the different cell components that digest foreign bodies and digest foreign material and then lay down the fabric for the, the uh, placement of new skin and then have, have skin grows over it and all again orchestrated as if it's timed in a precision manner. It's impossible to think that this is something that happened by accident. And this is the area that people just have to look around them and see of what goes on. And we call this world an olam, it's hidden. Well, if you peel away the layers, you'll see more and more that the creator is is revealed. So I believe that this is something that needs to be understood not because only because if if someone went to medical school or saw this, but just any human being looking around him, uh, around his world, and looking at, at his body and seeing what goes on, has to be uh, come to the conclusion that there there's a master creator here. Very good. So, Doctor Paul, when you said we call this world an olam, which means hidden, you're referring that you're referring to the the root of the word olam, which in in Hebrew, which is ayin. Lamed Mem is also the same word, root as the word hidden, Ne'elam. Correct, correct. <laughs> Just to clarify for our readers. And Dr. Paul, have you ever read the book uh, Darwin's Black Box by Dr. Michael Behe? No. Oh, it's no. very interesting. It speaks about, it breaks down what you're saying in general in into a, a, a very incisive, scholarly, scientific challenge to to evolution by talking about how on the cellular level there's no there's no sense and function in anything in all of the um intricate workings of the of the cell if 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 one part of all these parts were not functioning properly so right, <laughs> right that's that's it's well um, someone did a mathematical calculation of the processes that have happened within a human cell and um, what would happen if one of them were not there or the multiple processes that go on and it came out to some astronomical number that could not even be fathomed that this could be this would be an accident in terms of, of, of its creation. So I believe that, um, that, that anyone who seriously and objectively looks at, at, at and our creation, uh, and especially the human body, the human cell, the, the human organ, um, and the relationship between the organs has to come to the conclusion that there, 
this was designed and designed very, very well. Thank you for sharing that with us. And again, Dr. Paul, thank you so much for, for your time and for, for giving over what you have to give over from all your experience to the podcast fellowship students and to anyone who's interested in, in, in medical ethics and a career in medicine and in what you, what you have uh, gained from your experience. Thank you. Okay. Be well. Be well. You've just listened to another great episode of Our Tribe, the podcast, brought to you by the Podcast Fellowship and hosted by Rabbi Tovia Kopstein. Tune in each week, every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time to hear more great episodes of Our Tribe, the podcast. If you have any suggestions or questions, email us at ourtribe at podcastfellowship.org. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to help the tribe thrive.